want to look at another aspect of intercession, and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Even as Jesus prays in the heavenlies before the throne of God, the Holy Spirit prays in the midst of the people as he's here with us, ever lifting his voice to the Father concerning us. Now, the passage that we cited last week uh, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in prayer was uh, Romans 8, 26, and 27, and I'd like to read that to you today as sort of our starting point as we look at his ministry. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I, I guess the most important thing that I get out of this, this uh, brief passage is that the Spirit is communicating not only in accordance with God's will, but he's uh, communicating things that we don't fully know that we need to have communicated. The Spirit helps us then in our weakness. In these two verses, we're told that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The word is the same as in the passage that we looked at last week in which, in which we saw Jesus interceding. In Romans 8.26, the word has an added prefix which gives the indication of on behalf of. And so the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. On both occasions, intercede is the in the present tense indicating continuance. That is to say, he intercedes with groans, he intercedes in accordance with the will of God, and he does it continually. Let's look at one uh, statement here in the same way. It's found in verse 26, and it, it points to something in the preceding verses which connects them with verses 26 and 7. In verses 19 to 25, have dealt with the hope which the believer has during times of suffering, which befall everyone. Just like the believer has hope during his sufferings, he has help from the Spirit during his weakness. As hope sustains us in our suffering, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so the Spirit is here in our midst, communicating continually. Even though we're going through difficult times, it seems that everyone has to. The Spirit is here helping us in this process. Weakness is that which characterizes the whole of fallen life. But here is the weakness of not knowing what to pray for in a specific circumstance. Prayer, then, covers every aspect of our need. It is not our ignorance of the right manner of prayer that is reflected in this verse. That is to say, it's not, our, it's not the way we pray, so much as it is not knowing what to pray. It is our ignorance concerning the proper content. We simply do not know what to pray for as the exigencies of our circumstances demand. We do not know what to pray in every circumstance of life. We always need help, but we don't know how to ask for it. It is at this point of desperation on our part that the Spirit comes to help us. He is indeed our comforter, and he's come to pray on our behalf. This is illustrated by Paul in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, verses 7 through 10. The specific requests, though, that may seem to be what should be prayed in the moment of our need are not necessarily the measure of the wisdom, love, and grace of God. We may make a request which is not according to God's will, and because of this, God must deny our request. And so we need the Spirit to pray for us. We need to because he prays within the context of God's will. And so that that needs to happen can happen because the Spirit is praying for us. Now, in the groanings of Romans 8.26 are the groanings of the Holy Spirit. They are the concrete ways in which intercession of the Spirit comes to expression. 
they define the content of his intercession as well as the intensity of his emotion. There are several different sources of groanings which are demonstrated in the New Testament. In Romans 8, there are three groanings which Paul communicates to his readers. That is to say, three kinds of groanings that go on. The first one is found in verse 22. It says, we know the whole creation has been groaning at the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. This first groan mentioned encompasses the whole, then, of creation. Creation is groaning in its own frustration because of the fall of Adam. According to verse 21, creation will be liberated from the bondage to its decay. And so creation was affected as Adam fell. And because of Adam's sin, all of creation is groaning today for that time yet in the future in which it will be released from the bondage of decay. Then there's a second kind of groaning that goes on, and it's the groaning of believers. This second groan comes from believers themselves. We live in the here, as, as we've shared with you on other occasions, but, we, but it's not yet. We're, we're before God, but we're not before God. We're in Christ, but we're not yet what we're going to be. We cry for the completion of that future day when we will always be with God. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the down payment, wait for the completion of adoption and redemption of our bodies. Now this is reflected in verse 23. Let me read that text to you. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly uh, await, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemptions of our bodies. So even as the creation is waiting, this creature is waiting. Our body is waiting and our body groans. So when you groan, we're being scriptural. I tell that to my wife every time she corrects me and do it. Now, and yet another kind of groaning is the groaning of the Spirit himself as reflected in verse 26. Let me read that passage to you. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So the third type of groaning that Paul talks about here is the groaning of the Spirit himself as he intercedes and communicates. We should note that each of these groans is accompanied with a hope. In the first, creation is liberated from its decay. In the second, believers receive, receive completeness. And in the third, the Holy Spirit intercedes because of our weakness. So these groanings are important. They're essential to the process. Let's look further at the Spirit's ministry and we want to look specifically at the issue of, of gifts of the Spirit. That is to say, the Spirit giving gifts, or gracelets, as I've called them in other series in which we've talked about spiritual gifts, the gracelet to pray. Let's look first at the Old Testament. There's no certain way of establishing whether the people of the Old Testament were endowed by God with such a gracelet. Now, we know that the Spirit came intermittently in the Old Testament upon prophets, priests, and kings. But we don't know if the Spirit manifested in exactly the same way as he does in the New Testament. But we think that they're, they're probably much the same. Prayer in the Spirit, however, appears to be a heartfelt communication toward God. Here are a few examples where the idea is expressed. For instance, in Psalm 42, verse 4, it says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, that is to say, my whole, my whole being. And in Psalm 62, 8, it says, Pour out your heart to him, and in Lamentations 2.19, it states, Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Now, all of these would indicate uh, an emotional state, but it also could indicate a spiritual state in which you're pouring out your inner man, and God is, uh, is hearing the prayer of uh, not only you, 
but the prayer of the Spirit as he's unctioned you to pray. All three of these texts are set in the Hebrew poetry must be read with the emotion which, which they were penned. Hannah's prayer is another important prayer in the Old Testament that indicates a prayer under anointing, prayer under unction, prayer under a, a gracelet or a gift of the Spirit. It's found in 1 Samuel 1.12, and it sounds much like the prayer in the Spirit of the New Testament. The text declares, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought that she was drunk. I am a woman who is deeply troubled, was her response. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Now, this to me sounds just like Acts 2. Well, and, and other prayers, other occasions of prayer in the New Testament. I think Anna was, uh, Hannah was indeed under an unction of the Holy Spirit, and she may well have been praying in tongues. I can't document that from the text, but it has all the earmarks of a time of deep, deep intercession and a time of, uh, of a sort of an otherly dynamic in which the Spirit has come over her and caused her to sort of get outside of herself and pray with, with, under deep duress and distress in a way that maybe wasn't common in her prayer life. In the New Testament, we have several reflections of, of this kind of anointing. What is recorded here in Romans is no different from that which Paul calls praying in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians, in my opinion. Praying in the Spirit is the one of the graces which Jesus gives to his children to express the inexpressible in the language given by the Spirit. A subject which is not often spoken about is whether Jesus himself prayed in the Spirit. Now we know that Jesus was filled with the Spirit without measure and he evidenced all the other gifts of the Spirit. So my suspicion is that he may well have prayed in the Spirit. Uh, by that I mean prayed in tongues. But I can't give you any real clear documentation. But I want you to listen carefully to what I am going to share with you because I think it's an indicator of the possibility that even Jesus prayed in tongues. Certainly it's a debatable point and it can usually get heated. So you want to be careful who you dialogue with over the subject. There's no incident in the Gospels which could establish it with, its, with certainty, in my opinion. There are, however, some places that support the possibility. For instance, in Mark 7, 34, we find Jesus in the midst of a working of healing. That is to say, under unction of the Spirit, about to heal someone. And the text affirms that Jesus gives a deep sigh. And again, in the 8th chapter, the 12th verse, it says, He sighed deeply. And the word translated sigh here is the same word as translated groan in Romans 8, 22 and 23 and 26. Now, the word was a technical term in the Hellenistic world uh, of the day for prayer that did not uh, involve the mind, but was called forth by the Spirit. James Dunn rejects this be uh, because Jesus' word of healing, I'm quoting him, Jesus' word of healing was spoken Aramaic, his native tongue. Arnold Bittlinger, however, notes the first reference is particularly interesting for there, the, the term sighing, stenosian, is used although with ephatha, the word, when Jesus was healing someone. According to Rudolf Boltmann, ephatha, or ephatha, an expression in a strange language which, according to numerous parallels in the Hellenistic world, was often used in connection with healing the sick or casting out demons. Certainly there are not conclusive arguments on this subject, but so in which we can establish with certainty. But I think that it's important to understand that something deep and meaningful was happening here under the unction of the Spirit as Jesus groaned. Now, I don't know that you can equate groaning with tongues, but I think it, that there's at least a possibility. 
And it's something we'll know yet in the future when we're with the Lord and we can ask Him directly. In verse 26, the Spirit is giving various vicarious intercession for the saints. Remember, praying in the Spirit is presupposed elsewhere in the New Testament. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, and in Ephesians 16, and Jude 20, and, uh, excuse me, 6, 18, and Jude 20, and in Revelation 22, 17. This praying in the Spirit is the same as praying in tongues, in my opinion. The gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, 7 through 12 and 22, which had a place in public worship, is here described in terms of groans which words cannot express. In short, their utterances in tongues. Sometime under duress, the only way you can get relief is to pray in tongues. This is why I think it's so important that every believer takes advantage of this gift as it's given to the entire church. Now, you know that I've covered in another series on gift of the Spirit my, my belief in the fact that all believers can speak in tongues. And I know that it's not a commonly held view. But my, uh, my perception of the scripture and my experience to date would indicate that it's at least a possibility for everyone I've ever prayed with. Because up till this point, I don't know of anyone that I've prayed with to receive and to release the gift of tongues that hasn't done it. So it's certainly a possibility for you. So the Spirit prays, and the Spirit groans, and He groans on our behalf. It is the Spirit Himself that is acting here in Romans 8. The utterances in tongues are the medium through which He cries on our behalf to God. The Spirit does not free us from earthly things, but as our proxy, brings our needs to God in ways which we cannot express ourselves. While 1 Corinthians leaves one with a somewhat distasteful attitude towards tongues, in that the Corinthians themselves were somewhat distasteful. Romans affirms tongues with a certainty and a positive interpretation. Just as those who spoke in tongues at Corinth required an interpreter to make their utterances intelligible to men, 1 Corinthians 14, 13, and 26, so in Romans, those who sigh in prayer need the Spirit as an intercessor in order that they make their utterances intelligible to God. There is one thing here to keep in mind. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Not our strengths, but our weaknesses. This kind of prayer is not a sign that the church has arrived at some kind of spiritual advancement, as some would suppose. It's a place to begin, a starting place, not a place to end. The honest truth is that for most of the church today, the place to begin has become a source of contention rather than a, a fount of conciliation and blessing. So I don't think the ability to speak in tongues is, is an end in itself. It's a beginning. It's a place to learn to minister to the Lord in a, in a way and, and under an unction other than praying with your mind. And it must be contrasted with that. We must learn to then pray in the Spirit as well as pray with our minds. And in so doing, the Spirit will intercede with us and interpret for us. Now let's look at another passage. In the, same, in the same area, the 27th verse, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, we've looked. this is becoming familiar to you. We've looked at it several times. Now, the he in this text is surely God the Father. And, and, and I've got several texts that would support this idea. For instance, 1 Chronicles 28, 9, and, and Psalms 139, 1, and 23, and then Jeremiah 17.10 and 1 Corinthians 4.5 and, and Hebrews 4.13. Look those texts up and you'll see again and again the idea that this is supports. As we begin to groan as the Spirit is praying through us, the Father to whom the prayer is addressed immediately reads the mind of the Spirit. 
for it is his own mind. That is to say, they're so operating within the context of the Father's will, that is to say, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son, that their, their communion and communication is at a very, very high level. And so as the Spirit grows, the Father immediately interprets our, our needs, our weaknesses as they've been offered up. The Spirit prays in accordance with the, with the Father's will. He prays this way because we do not know what the will of God is for us in some circumstances, situations. William Barclay says that there are two reasons why we do not know what to pray. First, we cannot pray correctly because we do not see the future. This often leads our prayer, uh, us to praying for things which the Father knows that are not good for us and things that can harm and actually uh, deter us from fulfilling the Father's will in our lives. Secondly, we cannot pray correctly because in any given situation we do not know what is best for us in this situation. I mean, none of us would pray for difficulty and calamity, and yet difficulty and calamity are one of the things that, as we go through them and in the aftermath, leaves us the most strengthened in our walk with Christ. We do not know our own true needs because we do not grasp the infinite plan of God in our lives. So Barclay, I think, has correctly pointed out the importance of prayer because we don't know the future and we don't know properly how to interpret our needs, and so we need the Spirit to take our prayers and reinterpret them to the Father. We need all the help we can get. We need it from Jesus praying in the heavenlies. We need it with the Spirit praying in our midst. And God has graciously provided these two to help us by giving us the Spirit and by giving us Jesus to intercede for us in this present evil age, during this present evil circumstance. The Father has provided Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us get through life. Aren't you glad for that? I am. And they pray. They're constantly dialoguing with the Father. They're constantly lifting up our needs. Now, this really helps me because when I first began learning to pray, I've been a Christian now 23 years, and when I first began praying, I, I mean, I prayed before I was a Christian, but I didn't pray with any regularity or any real understanding. But after I came to know Jesus, after the Spirit of God quickened me and brought me to life, prayer became much more vital. And, and as I entered into prayer, it was helpful for me to know that prayer meeting was already going on. The dialogue had already been started, that the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit were already talking about these things. And so for me, it was just entering into something that was already begun. Now, as I mentioned uh, in an earlier program, uh, learning to pray uh, it, it has like two dimensions. First of all, there's that that ease by which any of us can burst in on the presence of the Father, like children coming into the household, and, and we just express what we need, and, and, and we're in and we're out, and it's over in a matter of moments. And many of us pray those kind of prayers all day long. And, and I think they, they, they ought to, that ought to characterize our daily life. But there's something much, much deeper than that that we're being called to. We're being called to the discipline of prayer, learning how to, in a, in a regular uh, pattern of prayer, in a, in a diligent uh, act of prayer to express our needs as well as the needs of others to the Father. Of course, it goes beyond intercession. It goes uh, and petition. It, it, we also have praise and, and, all, and a whole plethora of, of ways by which we can communicate with the Father in prayer. But the most important thing that I'm trying to communicate with you today is that the Spirit has provided us access to the Father, even as Jesus has provided us access and we can learn to pray today in accordance with them as they pray.
for our needs. We've been talking today about the Holy Spirit's ministry of prayer in our midst. And we've said that he communicates uh, to the Father concerning us. And that furthermore, as we pray, he interprets our prayer to the Father. And that we're to learn to pray in two dimensions, by, uh, with our minds as well as with the Spirit. By that I mean in the Spirit, by speaking in tongues. I believe that it's an absolutely essential area for every Christian to become effectively involved in prayer. If there's anything that we're to enter into in this life, it's prayer. Oh, I think there are many other disciplines that are important and essential, but I think that the most important thing that you can I, I can learn to do and the most important thing that we can do every day is pray. I think that's why it's so hard to do. I think that's why the enemy distracts us. You know, I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but every time I go to pray, the enemy bombards me with all kinds of stuff, you know, things, thoughts like, you shouldn't be praying, you're, not, you're insincere, or you've brought this up before God before and, and nothing's happened, or uh, you, you're, you're not consistent in prayer, remember that evil thought you thought, or you did this, or you did that, and, and in some way he tried to, as it were, pull the rug of confidence out from under my feet. I've never gone to prayer without being bombarded. And I think that in itself ought to be an indication of how important prayer is. If the enemy fights so hard to keep you and I from praying, <laughs> he's doing it for a reason. He's not done, you know. He understands something that we don't understand, the importance of prayer. And so, in this series and, and during the time of reflection over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to begin the discipline of prayer. My friend Larry Lee from Dallas, Texas says that prayer begins with discipline and ends in delight. And I'm sure that's true in that he's developed a, a rather beautiful devotional life before the Lord and prays with great uh, uh, commitment and, and energy and, and reality. And, uh, it's something I envy in Larry, and it's something I want to emulate in Larry. Last time we were together, we looked at the prayer life of Jesus in, in, in his body while he was on earth and then his prayer life today as he intercedes in the heavenlies before the Father. Today we looked at the prayer life of the Holy Spirit and we found that he prays for us and he prays with us and he interprets our prayers to the Father. And so yeah, there's a whole dimension of prayer life there that's very important to understand in the prayer life of the Holy Spirit. And as I said a little earlier, I think the, the, the most important part for me is to understand that this prayer is going on all the time. So every time I begin to pray, I, I have a, a, an awareness that prayer has already been going on. That dialogue with the Father is already underway. And so lots of times I, I kind of just sort of uh, get in and ride the waves. You know, I just, I just sort of begin prayer with an understanding that's happening and I, and I just open my mind to the, the presence of the Spirit and to the presence of Jesus and, and let them guide me in prayer. And I do it with the understanding that they're already praying. So I'd encourage you, begin praying. Begin praying in a disciplined way. Give, you, give yourself regular times of prayer. It's a very, very important aspect of, of this growing in, in the discipleship of prayer. Before we close today, I want to take a moment to pray. And I want to pray with, with an understanding that the Spirit of God is listening and interpreting our prayer. And I want to pray with an understanding that Jesus is already dialoguing with the Father concerning the very issues that I'm going to bring up. Join me, will you? Let's pray together as we pray with them. Father God, 
we come with the awareness that Jesus is already communicating about our prayer life. And we're with the awareness that the Holy Spirit is with us today to interpret our weaknesses in this area. And we ask, oh God, that you hear their prayers and you, that you hear our prayer and that you strengthen us in our understanding and our ability and our willingness and in our diligence in prayer. Lord, everyone that's listening today uh, wants to pray more. I know they do. They love you and they want to serve you. And I certainly do. And so I ask, oh God, that you'd hear this prayer as I give myself to you today afresh. Help us, oh God, to pray. Help us to learn to pray with power and with authority. We ask it in Jesus' name.